My name is Matt, and welcome to Lessons I've Learned. On today's episode, I have a college comrade, a creator, Julie Andrews, biggest fan, a fellow cat lover, Sarah. Sarah, how are you doing hey, today? Hey, how's it going? What are you up to today? Today has been a very, very chill day. I meal prepped, and we I watched Inside Pixar, that docuseries. And oh, very nice. That's about it. Very nice. It's yoga. Um, yeah. Quick flash question. What is yep. your favorite Pixar movie? It's, I think it's The Incredibles. Very nice. What did you? Oh, no, I lied. That is a big lie. It's Ratatouille, hands down. Oh. Why did I not even, it's Ratatouille. I, I mean, a little secret. I've never seen Ratatouille. So, what? Uh, but I, I've, I've heard nothing but exceptional things about it. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, Sarah, so as we're sort of starting out this conversation, I wanted to, um, I will, at first I wanted to pause for the sirens, so I mean, yep. that's okay, just part of living in New York. Um, I wanted to ask you, what is the first lesson that you ever remember learning? Ooh. Well, low stakes. Yeah, but when I was in kindergarten, I told a lie to my teacher, and it made me feel really horrible. And I think the lesson wasn't so much, my parents responded very graciously, but I think mm -hmm. the, the lesson wasn't so much uh, don't lie, it was how I felt afterward, and I didn't like that feeling. And Absolutely. so that was like the first time I, I kind of recognized like human error. Mm -hmm. Were you a rule follower as a kid? Like, were you very strict of following the rules was and are am still yeah <laughs> were, were you the type of rule follower that if somebody else was not following the rules you were going to tell on them or you were more so concerned about Usually. yourself it just kind of depends but but in school yes yeah um i had a in fourth grade so i was homeschooled up until fourth grade um, and there was a ban on uh, Yu-Gi-Oh cards that year because people had been bringing them to school and people were stealing them from other kids. Um, and I was also somebody that was bringing them to school and then they got banned. Well, um, later in the year, my friend on the bus, he had a Yu-Gi-Oh card and he like gave it to me. Mm. So then I was at school and I was like showing it around to people and Later in the evening, one of the teachers, they came up to our class and they were like, oh, are you Matthew Herdman? And I was like, yes, I am. And the teacher was like, well, what happened? And they were like, well, Matthew had a Yu-Gi-Oh card. And the teacher was like, is that true? And I was like, it is true. And I remember I went home and I was so afraid that my teacher was going to call my parents. It was like the feeling of like... I was that kid that like the teacher liked and then I'm now this like bad kid because yep. I brought a card to school. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was not fun. Um you are originally from Texas, correct? Yes, I was born in North Carolina but spent spent all of grade school in Texas. And what took you from North Carolina to Texas? My parents were, were, they are college professors. And so we just, the next round of jobs opened up at a university in, in Texas. Very nice. And what, um, how old were you whenever you moved from North Carolina to Texas? I was six. So okay. old enough to remember quite a bit of North Carolina, but not old enough to have like 
really solid foundations. And where is your family outside of your immediate family from? Like, where do they reside? My dad's family is from Texas and Oklahoma. My mother's family is from Oklahoma. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What originally took them to North Carolina? Jobs. Again, they, they bounced from Louisiana to North Carolina. They, well, they were in Oklahoma, Louisiana, North Carolina. They just kind of went with where the, the jobs were at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, And so... What was it like growing up with parents that were college professors? Um, was that like, do you, I mean, of course you don't know what that experience is like, not growing up with parents that are college professors. Right. No, but, I don't. Um, what was that experience like for you? It was very, it was very much, there was a lot of learning. Everything was in a sense taught. There was a lot of like, we, if I didn't know how to do something, they would teach me how to do it, which makes sense because they are teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, as the child of, of professors, I didn't, I couldn't get away with any bad grammar. I couldn't get away with any like Texas accents or anything like that was, was nipped in the bud, um, all in good fun, all in good spirit. But it was, it was definitely like a, a pedagogy lesson mm-hmm. often. Now, um, your parents being performers, did that influence you to want to get into performing? I would say yes and no. My parents are opera singers. So I, while I love opera, I loved it then. I love it now. I didn't ever want to be an opera singer. Um, I don't have the voice for it, first of all, but I just didn't want to go that route. I was much more into musical theater and musicals. Um, But my parents were really, they never like pressured me to become a musician. They, I had very little interest in it until I was like late teens. And so Mm -hmm. there was no pressure. They, They were like, do whatever you want. And so... I think the influence was there because I watched it. I think I have a different perspective on mm-hmm. the performing world because I've seen it from so many different angles, but they, they would never were like, because we're singers, you must be a singer. So. Right. Now, what was the thing then that sort of sparked the musical theater bug then within you? It came and went. I remember cause I watched, I watched the sound of music kind of kicked it off when I was about six or seven. That was kind of my first musical experience. And then it went away for a really long time. And I did some shows at summer camp in Oklahoma a couple summers in a row. And then it wasn't really until I was 14 or 15. And I was back in Oklahoma doing a main stage production. Mm-hmm. And that was really the first time I was like, okay, I really, really dig this. Now, for somebody listening who maybe is not necessarily familiar in the theater world, what would you describe um, a main stage production to be? And then what would you describe are some of the other types of productions that are not necessarily a main stage production? Sure. So main stage is most commonly a a bigger space. So there's a lot of theater companies like this theater company that that I'm speaking of, for example, has productions that they produce in this big, giant space but they also have a lot of productions that they produce in smaller spaces and smaller stages. Uh, so there's, there's smaller stages. There's things called black box theater, which has never really been my cup of tea, but a lot of actors really love um, immersion theater. There's all different sorts of, of theater. Um, my primary experience is in main stage and small stage. Very nice. And so you moved from Texas to Oklahoma. Um, was that just for school? When you graduated high school? It was just it was just for school. And then because my grandparents, my mom's parents lived there, the whole family just ended up, we were like, we may as well just all be in one place for once. So they just followed me up. And my dad, already, my dad was already in Oklahoma. 
mm-hmm. the new job. And so we just followed, followed the trail and all wound up there. What, um, what sort of influenced you deciding to pursue a career in musical theater as far as the collegiate aspect goes? That it's it's tough because I think in they were told that we were told a lot in school that to to make it you needed a college degree, mm-hmm. which I don't personally now, in hindsight think is true, um, but there was a lot of this like oh if you go to this school if you go to these schools then you will you're guaranteed success, um, and I wanted to be around it I wanted I've been around it my whole life so I definitely went into my college program with a lot more experience than a lot of other people had, which I, I really try hard not to take for granted, just from high school and middle school and, and watching my parents do it. I had a pretty rich background in musical theater already. And so I think I just wanted to round that out. I wanted to take the dance classes. I wanted a structured setting. That was really, I think, the thing was I wanted the structured setting to give me the tools that I would hopefully need to get out there. What is something that you feel like you learned during your college musical theater career that you wouldn't have learned if you didn't have that experience? I don't know if I would have learned as keenly to, to, to let things go, not like let, like to let things slide and not to let things slide in terms of like, let them be passed over and ignored, but just to learn that you can that circumstances are entirely out of your control sometimes. Mm -hmm. And how you learn to manage the circumstances being out of control is actually far more important than how you feel about the circumstances Mm. being out of control. So I was filming something for someone about a year, year and a half or so ago, maybe. um, And they asked what I went to school for. And I told them that I went to school for musical theater. And then they sort of asked, well, like, what are you doing with that now? And at the time, I it's it sort of caught me off guard because it felt like it was coming from a place of like, you're obviously not using that now. Um, And then, which I mean, even when I was in school, like, I remember at the time I was thinking, okay, there are like, there are lessons that I'm learning of working with other people, working with deadlines. Like what are some other things that you think are um, sort of life skills or skills that you can take from your experience doing musical theater and studying musical theater that you think apply sort of on a lot of other things? Sure. I think there's a lot of value in discipline in, in um, self-discipline. Am I going to practice today? Am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? How long am I going to do it? Um, setting up routines, I think is pretty valuable and problem solving is a very valuable skill that I think both in voice and in acting and in uh, dance problem solving and, and, uh, then overcoming personal like hurdles when you get stuck, um, how how do you look around the thing that's keeping you stuck? And again, that could be voice or dancing or theater or um, acting. There's a lot of different ways that that can apply. I, I use it in my retail job. You know, it, it can go a long way. What is what is something that you went into your college musical theater experience hoping to learn or sort of expecting to learn? So not necessarily an experience that you felt like you lost out on, but mm-hmm. one that now that you're sort of removed from that experience, you see, oh, that wasn't really something I was ever going to learn anywhere. That's a tough one, I think. Mm. Or 
maybe a better question is, is what is an experience that you've learned now sort of pursuing theater outside of the college setting and outside of the high school setting? What is a lesson that you've learned now that you didn't learn in college? That the, the experience, and I say that in quotation marks with a capital T and a capital E, the experience, whether that is the audition experience, the callback experience, the dance call experience, is nothing like what is told to us often in school. It, it, it is different from it, every single one you go to is different. You never know what to expect. I think there was a lot of you, you cannot teach someone what to expect. You have to expect the unexpected. You have to expect literally anything when you're going into any sort of audition. I've had super weird theater auditions where like it was just me and the director and like a light was shining straight down on me. And that was the, like, there are, you never know what you're going to walk into. And I don't think you can teach that short of saying, prepare yourself. You never know what you're going to walk into. So you graduate UCO. And then you decide to move to New York. What, mm-hmm. um, what sort of lit that fire within you to take that step? Well, funnily enough, I decided to move to New York when I was 11. I, before I wanted to be an actor, before I knew I was interested in that, I, we, we got out of the hotel at Times Square and I looked up at my dad and I was like, oh, I would like to live here. Um, and he and said, not right something now, magnetic Sarah. about it. Yeah, there's something magnetic about it. And I thought that no matter where the art eventually took me, because obviously there's great art everywhere, um, New York would be the hub to kind of get that started. And so I, I knew from a very young age that I that New York City was calling me and my parents knew that. And so I was prepping for it for a very long time. And yeah, right after college, I, I finished a show in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then in September of that year, I moved up here. What is your favorite thing about New York? That you will never see everything. <laughs> that it is it is impossible to see it all because not only because it's so big but because it is always changing it's always moving it's always shifting but there's a surprise on every corner and i think that i think as an as an historian and as a someone who who likes history and the the uniqueness and the quirkiness of different cities and different places there's a surprise on every corner you never know what you're going to find when you're exploring a new part of the city and that that keeps it eternally exciting for me as a historian, what is your favorite part of history? My favorite, my favorite part of history, uh, like era or part? Um, just your, um, do you have a favorite aspect of history that you really I, gravitate sure. towards? I do. My favorite aspect of history is that we can actually learn a lot. And I know that this has been a, a, a thought bubble kind of in the news a lot the last year because we've been like, oh, we're learning so much if we from the pandemic of 1918. But, the, but that's the truth. Um, I think the thing that I, about history that amazes me the most is we live in a world filled with technology and we've seen the most rapid onset of technology since the 1850s. So people had to come up with solutions. And every time I walk through an antique store or I walk through a museum or I walk through somebody's old house and I see these things that people created to solve a problem that we no longer use because...
anybody who might be listening or watching, if there was one person that you know of in history that you think is really inspiring that maybe isn't talked about as much, who would that person be? Lucy Stone. She was a feminist and a suffragist and a writer and a college graduate in the 1850s and 60s. She was a contemporary of, of like Louisa May Alcott, so the woman who wrote Little Women and a bunch of other stuff. Um, she lived in Boston and she was really kind of radical for her time. She refused to take her husband's name when they got married. She was like, I don't belong to him, I belong to myself. I, you know, and just kind of had these ideas that really were unusual for the time and kind of even set her apart from other uh, feminists and suffragettes of the era. Like it just kind of, she was walking her own line and I, she's, there's a monument dedicated to her in Boston. She's really, really cool. Very nice. I, um, I am always very impressed when you talk about any sort of historical themes or just like any sort of um, meaty subject. I think that you are just very well versed in being able to explain yeah. it. Um, and maybe it just comes from you choosing things to talk about <laughs> that you know stuff about, but um, the way that you explain it, you just are able to, um, it just, it it sounds like it comes from a place of you've you've done a lot of research and you're taking the things that you really gravitate towards and you're sharing that in. Um, well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, we need to make history accessible. A lot of people think it's just boring, dry, dull. But if you if you peel back the pages and you peel back mm -hmm. the layers, it is there is more fascinating stuff than there is boring stuff. I guarantee you. I know that the feminism movement is something that is close to you what would you say um what for you what does that movement mean to you what does the word feminist mean like what um how how does that relate to you and then how does that relate to the world sure it's it's tough because you have we you have feminism on two two it's a double edged sword because you have individuals I think that let me the way I've come to understand it I think that is the most accessible definition of feminism is that it is different for every woman so for me what I'm looking for is equity and equality in a sense that like nobody's better than anybody there is no that's kind of what the original suffragettes were were talking about is nobody's better than anybody. What we're looking at is we want to be equal under the eyes of the law, equal under the eyes of God. However anybody takes that to mean, that's going to look different for every woman. And I think that it, and I think that it moves and shifts and shapes as you age and and any woman identifying with those themes, um it's going to change with as you change. And so that it, it just the the sheer willpower of these 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 women throughout history that have fought and bled and died and shouted and marched of all races and, and ages and uh, cultural origins is just mind-blowing when you really start to dive deep what is what is something that you think is a small step that somebody can take to sort of contribute to the solution of finding equity for everyone? I think that empathy is the main 
player in this game. I think that recognizing, we talk about this a lot in our small group, recognizing the humanity in each other. Mm. Um, because if we start to see everybody, and if we start to see everyone as, as human, then we start to build a foundation that is, we are all humans. Okay, now we can start to look at the differences and we can start to identify the problems that those differences have caused or that where they have originated from and how we can move forward and build a better world. Getting to that point and then recognizing that there's a lot of wrong and moving to build a better foundation. Very nice. Sort of pivoting back to the topic of New York, what would you say is a lesson that you learned about yourself since you've been living in New York? that it's so you can tell you can tell who is here because they want to be and who is here because they feel like they have to be whether for work or family or what the case is um there's a distinct difference to me i think i have learned to not lose not lose that 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 uh humanity and in, in a sense that's like when I first moved here, I was like, okay, I have to be really tough. I have to not look at anybody. I have to not make eye contact. I have to be hard and fast. And it's all about me. And I can't care about other people. And then I kind of, after a, after about six months, I like moved, I went back to Oklahoma or something happened. And I was in a place where it was back where people were like acknowledging each other and making mm-hmm. eye contact and saying hello. And someone told me, they were like, you could smile once, once in a while. And I hate that. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely hate that. <laughs> But I, it kind of like stopped me because I don't Mm -hmm. like to be perceived as unfriendly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of New Yorkers are perceived as unfriendly because everybody's lost in their own world. You know, the tunnel Mm -hmm. vision is on. And so I chose, I I have been trying to actively choose to not be looking at the city in tunnel vision. And so I think I've learned to, obviously you don't want to get yourself in trouble, but I have learned to see other people again and it, it and it actually means you can actually help somebody. You never know mm-hmm. whether they someone stops and asks you for directions because they notice that you're not lost in your own world, or right. somebody feels safe enough to ask you directions on the subway, or like you you stop someone from going out on the crosswalk when there's a car coming. That's hap- I've done that. Like being aware and being you can't get lost in the city. I mm-hmm. think is the lesson. You have to be aware still of what's going on around you. Would you say that that is? Um... I don't know if temptation is the right word, but that's something that's easy to do is to get lost in the city. Oh, absolutely. It's very, and, and there's days where I'm just like, okay, headphones in, glasses on, and we're done. Like there are days where you just need to shut out because there is so much noise. Mm-hmm. And yet there, and then there are those same days where I've shut myself out and I'm walking along the street and I see something absolutely beautiful that takes my breath away, like a building, uh, architecture, a historical building, a, a cherry tree or something like that. And I, I have to take it all out. I have to take the headphones out. I have to take the glasses off and revisit the the world that is happening right there. In such a busy space, do you find places where you're able to sort of go and have your time and sort of solace and peace, even though there's all this action moving one around you? Luckily, yes. There's a lot of little oases around New York City. And my favorite is in, in Woodhill Park. Um, at the tip top of the island. It's a little hidden gem and nobody ever goes there pretty much unless you live up there because it's very far away Mm -hmm. from everything. 
Um, but uh, Inwood Hill Park and Van Corlin Park are my two favorite places to go and just be away from it all. Fantastic. Um, I know that you have a job outside of performing. So when yep. you moved to New York, did you have, was your expectation of I'm going to move there and then day number two, I'm going to get a lead on Broadway. Like what, like, oh my God, what yes. was your... I, it was like, I, what did I say the other day, Matt? I was like, I am 20. I literally cannot believe I don't have a Tony by now. I thought I have a Tony by now. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm but sure, again, those I'm, are those, those yeah. are those ideas that they, that sometimes yeah. the, that you fill your I head mean, with. Like, oh my God, it's so those, yeah. easy. Like Absolutely. I'll just like, book a contract how hard can it be okay very hard uh no i yeah i think i said to my roommate i was like i literally can't believe i'm not a three-time tony award winner uh, anyway i mean if they- you i mean if you um i think it is okay to like have those thoughts and every now and then like be oh, thinking yeah. about those because it's like if you're not thinking of those things then you're not going to go to an audition yeah. because you're like because yeah. that that going to the audition is a step in that direction. Yeah. Um, uh, so, well, but, but yeah, I I thought I would I I knew I would have to get some kind of gig, like some kind of off out of theater gig, and mm-hmm. I was hoping for retail because I had already worked retail for five ish mm-hmm. years before I moved uh, to the city, and bada bing, there it was. Very nice. Got, I got very lucky. I I think my I think my lucky stars every day. And um, what? What do you think is a benefit of um, working in a retail job that I think is sort of an, uh, another side of the spectrum from like a performing job? Like, yeah. are, are there things that you feel like you're able to go to that job and then you can get away from A, B, and C? That's actually a great. That's actually a great question. I've, I've talked to a couple of my other friends about that. Is yes, for me, retail has been, or at least this job has been a huge outlet. And I know that I, again, I try not to take that for granted because I know a lot of jobs, especially in New York City, are not like that for people. So I am extremely grateful that when I, when I was really in the thick of things and performing a couple years ago or auditioning and that sort of thing, I loved my job because yeah, it took me away from that. And for once I didn't have to think about anything except my job and it let me think about completely different things. Mm-hmm. I got to, pr- I still got to do all the things I love. I got to problem solve. I got to train. I got to work on skills, but it was for a totally different thing. And so my brain really liked being able to escape from, from that in a sense. I, I know that you talked about some of the auditions that you did earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the sort of more interesting auditions. Um, are you auditioning much nowadays? What is that like now with all this COVID stuff happening oh, as well so as what are your interests? Yeah, that's what's, that's, what's funny. So I, I hate auditioning. I'm open about that. Um, I've, I've always hated it even when I was little. Uh, <laughs> I, I like it if I am, I'm very type A. So I like it if I can like know what I'm going into, if I can have mm-hmm. me fully prepared. And obviously like we just talked about at the beginning, that's not how this works. So that was a, that was a big lesson was like learning to roll with the punches and be flexible. But you love a dance audition though, right? Like you, <laughs> like you're, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, um, you and I, Sarah, we love a dance audition. Yeah. We oh love gosh, a dance you, call. I'll give you a face. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that was, I, I don't love auditioning. I love auditioning with an appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did find myself not willing <laughs> to get up at three o'clock in the morning and go put my name on a list. I just, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of the like fixer in me is I was like, there has got to be a better way. There has got, there has got to be a better system than these poor people, mostly women. Cause men, there's mm-hmm. like 
one, there's like one man for every 19 women or whatever the statistic is, um, lining themselves up in the freezing cold at four o'clock in the morning to put their name on an unofficial list. And I just was like, I am not going to do that. And, you know, take that what you will. Some people are going to call me a wuss and some people are going to be like, oh, yes, right on. So, you know, I, <laughs> I just think there's a better way to value people's time. And I think there's a better way to see that many auditionees and still give everybody the time they deserve without sacrificing sleep and vocal cords and, and mm -hmm. all that. But maybe that's just the, the fixer in me. So um, with that I'm in mind. I'm not auditioning now. So with that in mind, is that, um, does this sort of audition process, does that influence you going forward? I know that you are um, really interested in the creation side of um, theatrical productions and things like that. Um, yeah, does that more, influence any of that? Yeah, the more, it's really, really interesting. When, when the pandemic started and auditions shut down and everything shut down, I've told a few people this, but like the, the and auditions weren't happening. The first thing I felt was relief. And that was a big, big, big flag for me. Not a red mm -hmm. flag, but like a hello over here. Um, kind of an indicator of like, maybe, I don't get me wrong, I absolutely love performing. I get a huge thrill out of it. But that really kind of got me thinking. And I know a lot of us have done a lot of thinking <laughs> over the last year about what really is going to be my role in the entertainment industry if I continue to go that route. And I do think I am more inclined now toward production, uh, administration, directing, dramaturgy, all those things that are kind of writing, especially all those things that are more on the creative side of things. And absolutely, let's, let's change the audition process. Let's make it all electronic. I don't know. I have a lot of ideas. What is some advice that you would give to somebody who is, maybe they are a junior in high school, they have been doing musical theater. They really have a passion for it. They want to go to college for it. And then they want to maybe move to Chicago or to New York. Um, what is some advice that you would give to somebody? I would say do it. I would say uh, go, go to college if it's the right thing for you. If the right thing for you, though, is to, to move immediately and take lessons and do that kind of thing and do it a different route, that's also good. But, but like, you know, take that as you will. Some people are not ready for the big city right out of high school. So obviously pace yourself. Um, but I would say stay true to what you as a performer believe that you are. And that will change. Mine has changed a couple times, but if you, it, it's okay to be like, I am not, that's, that's not me or like, but I'm really good at this. Don't, I would say, put yourself out there, but don't put yourself out there to a point that you're, that you're breaking your soul in half. Like keep it, keep it honest, keep it real, keep it vulnerable, but, but please be you. Don't put on some kind of mask to be, to be somebody else. What is a lesson that you feel like is something that you're currently learning about yourself? Well, my, my voice teacher in college, Dr. Govich, always joked with me that I'm, I'm the kind of gal who wants it all yesterday. Um, and so similarly to Alexander Hamilton, I am trying to learn to take my time. 
Mm-hmm. I'm trying to learn. Preach, preach, Sarah. Preach. Yeah, this this year has been very much about taking my time and pacing myself, and that that's come into play in a lot of different things. Um, and being excited when you actually see the progression. Like just as an example, I I got a I bought a bike while I was in Oklahoma this summer because a I needed something to do. And I have been wanting a bike and I wasn't in shape and it wasn't, I was, I have chronic illness and it was the exercise I figured would help. So I was like, okay, I'll do this. Um, and it's been almost eight months now of riding and it took months, but the progress is there. You, you see, and you feel the progress, but learning to take the time and recognize that everything is on pause right now. Like pretty much everything is on hold. So do with your time. You're not wasting time. And I think that was the, that's been the biggest lesson that I'm learning right now is everything feels kind of stagnant, but you're not wasting time. You're, we're, we're taking our time. Very nice. Love that. Um, Sarah, thank you so, 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 so much for joining me today. Um, your Instagram is S-A-R-A-H-J-A-N-E-J-O underscore. So Sarah Jane Joe underscore, yep. correct? Yes, that's right. And people can find you on Instagram. Is there any other social platform that somebody could stumble across you on? Or yeah, I, I think I'm funny on Twitter if you're so inclined. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. I think I'm funny, but uh, and is your Twitter the, <laughs> the same handle? Uh, it's actually it's the real SJ. It's so, the real SJ. Okay. A little bit different. Um, Fantastic. I, Lord knows I can't be consistent to save my life. So <laughs> I mean, Best I'm I I am. One thing that I have learned about social media is that if you go to make your name your handle, there's already going to be five of those. Yeah, so that's, and let's that's just blame it on that. Like, yep. Yep. Perfect. But yeah, that's me. Um, I, you know, follow if you dare. Fantastic. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very benign. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. Well, thank you, Matt. This has been I, this has been absolutely wonderful. A total treat. Yay. Yeah. I will see. I don't know why I'm going to say I'll see you soon. I don't know. Maybe I will see you soon. Maybe you will. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> awesome. the, the world could turn. Yeah. Sweet. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you.